Well, as we get started today, I want to remind you that even though we are the church that believes that God is absolutely sovereign over all things, we're also the church that believes the Bible teaches that we as human beings are responsible, active agents in what God is doing all over the world. And here's why I'm bringing this to you. All churches don't emphasize the sovereignty of God like we do, and we only do it because the Bible does. But here's what I'm afraid sometimes some of you hear. Therefore, the things that happen in this world just don't matter. God's going to do what God's going to do. That's fatalism. That's not the Bible. So here's why I'm bringing it. This week is an election week. And so I think sometimes when you hear me say, sleep well, regardless of who's in a seat of power, I'm not saying, so don't vote, don't care, don't get involved. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. That is not biblical, and that's not what Christians should do. So I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to kick you in the butt and say, go vote. Vote. Here's what this means, that God is sovereign, and we are responsible, active agents in his world, including what happens in Kentucky. Pray hard, go vote on Tuesday, and then sleep well, regardless who, who is in any seat of earthly power the next morning. But vote. Be a part of what God is choosing to do. Enough said. We're going through the book of Acts where we keep seeing over and over how God uses who? His people. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes in spreading the gospel all over the world. And while last week in Acts 15, we zeroed in on clarifying this message of the gospel because it can't change lives if if it's the wrong message and the message can get off track. So last week in Acts 15, we zeroed in on clarifying this message of the gospel, that it's not works, it's not the law, it's not any of all that, it's not ceremonies you have to keep, it is grace, it's a gift of grace. But now this week, what we're going to zero in on in chapter 16, is how this message changes the lives of all kinds of people and not just certain people. Turn to Acts chapter 16 and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 11. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Nilopolis, and from there to Philippi which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. We've now made it into Europe. Macedonia was in Europe, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord... Opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. They try to turn it into a race issue, and they don't realize Paul himself is a Roman citizen, which if you see at the end of the chapter, I didn't read it, he uses to his gain. He was a Roman citizen. So they're trying to make this issue be, oh, this is not something as Romans we should even receive or observe. 
Verse 22, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. All this gospel message radically changes the lives of people and not just certain people. That's what I want you to see from this chapter. So that's the first point I want you to get. Number one, God's not looking for a certain type of person. So neither should we. God's not looking for a certain type. We can be so guilty of thinking, oh, that person would never be interested. Oh, there's no hope for them. This person already seems nice. They would make such a wonderful Christian. Why do we do that? The Bible doesn't do that. God has never done that. But we keep stumbling into that. God is not looking for a certain type of person. Hope you realize there is no particular Christian type. That God is out there looking for. Because for centuries now, the power of the gospel has been changing the lives of conservatives and liberals. Educated, uneducated, cultured, uncultured, rich, poor, black, white, blue collar, white collar. Right brain, left brain, sanguine, phlegmatic, melancholy, dog lovers, cat lovers. And everything in between. The power of the gospel has been changing lives of all kinds of... Why? Because Jesus came to save... What kind of person is the only thing you need to be to qualify for this good news of the gospel? He came to save... Say it louder. Say it like you are one. Yeah. Sinners, that is such good news. He came to save... Sinners. Sinners. And so to drive this home to us, Dr. Luke zooms in on three absolutely different kinds of people who were all radically changed by the gospel. See, I hope you realize there were not just three people saved in Philippi. He's just choosing to tell us about three because we know that the church in Philippi was a really healthy, big church. It's the only letter that Paul writes. He writes lots of letters. It's the book of Philippians where he does not criticize or bring any correction to them. This was a healthy, spiritually vibrant church that was birthed in that city. God, by his spirit through Dr. Luke, is just choosing to highlight three people who were saved That helped found this new church. Oh listen to me. These three people that we've got right here in Acts chapter 16. Could not be more different. Racially. They're all over the map. Lydia was Asian. The slave girl was probably Greek. And the jailer was probably a Roman. Economically. Lydia was in the upper class. The slave girl was an outcast. And the jailer is probably middle class. 
Spiritually, Lydia was a seeker. The demon girl, I mean the slave girl, is demon-possessed, and the jailer could care less. So what is Dr. Luke doing right here in Acts 16? Tell you what he's doing. He's highlighting by God's Spirit that this gospel message is for everyone. 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 No one is beyond hope, beyond his reach. That's why the book of Hebrews says he is able to save to thee. Anybody know the word? Uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost. Gospels for everyone, not just certain people who somehow, here's the world we live in, pre-qualify. Right? Hadn't it happened to you where there's some, some phone call, some literature, some brochure, some spiel, and it sounds like it could be you. Till you dig into it some more. Oh, but it can't. Can't be you. The fine print says it's not you. Additional conversations reveals it's not you. Folks, that may be how our world is, but it's not how our God rolls. He sent his son into this world to save who? Sinners. All kinds of people. All kinds of people. All kinds of people. So let's dig into these three case studies. What can we learn from the life of Lydia? Let's start with Lydia. Here's what I want you to see that I think you still see today over and over and over again. Jesus can fill the emptiness of successful or wealthy people who are still looking for more. And they always are. If they don't know Jesus, never mind what they have piled up around them, folks. They're looking for more because they're created in the image of God. And these things cannot fill that void. They're looking for more. You say, Brad, how do you know that Lydia was successful and wealthy? Well, first of all, she's from Thyatira in Asia Minor. And she goes back and forth from there to Macedonia that is in Europe. She's running a business from two continents. Takes money. To do that probably means that she owns two homes. And we learn from verse 40 at the end of our chapter that I did not read that her home in Philippi, Europe, was so big that this brand new church that got birth from their preaching begins to meet in her home. And to top it off, she's a dealer. I'm not talking about drugs either. She deals in purple fabric. She deals in purple cloth that was very expensive and hard to come by because there was a certain dye that her region was known for. So her clients are either wealthy or royalty. Those are the only people who could afford to wear anything purple. In other words, she sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people and would have been like a successful businesswoman today who owned a high-end boutique shop in Manhattan where she's rubbing shoulders with celebrities and the upper crust of society. And yet we know she's empty and looking for more because verse 14 tells us she worshiped God. Now what that means, folks, is, is Gentiles had all kinds of gods. She has reached a point in her life that she is hungry for the one true. She knows Jews have this belief in the one true living God. And she has begun to meet with a group of Jewish women to study the Old Testament. And she's willing to go a mile and a half outside the city to the riverside to meet with this little band of Jewish women who are studying the Old Testament and praying. She's hungry. Listen to me. There are still thousands of Lydia's all over our world today who have achieved success and are still looking for more. They feel like they're missing something. Why? Because they are. They don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. They're looking for more. It happens all the time. Let me give you a recent example. I can't see his heart, folks, and I don't... Time will tell what is really going on spiritually with Kanye West. But this I know, folks. This I know. If you don't know that name, ask someone younger. Who who is that? (laughs) (laughs) This I know, folks. Kanye West 
had reached a level of fame and success and wealth and significance that most people in our world will never see. All eight of his albums had already gone platinum. He had created his own high-end fashion line and then married the American entertainment royalty Kim Kardashian. And to top it off, he's never been shy about boasting or suffered with low self-esteem. Because in 2013, he put a song on his album titled, I am God. I'm God. And yet, despite all that he had, he struggled to find peace. And even talked about it in some of his songs like Ultralight Beam, where he says, quote, But I'm looking for more. Somewhere to feel safe and to end my holy war. Well, it looks like that war may have ended for Kanye. Because he now claims that he has embraced Jesus Christ as his Lord. He's not talking about God in general, folks. Celebrities do that a lot. He's talking about Jesus. He is claiming he has embraced Jesus Christ as Lord of his life. So that his latest album that just dropped is titled Jesus, it, not God, not the faith. He does what the world hates. Talk about God, talk about faith. Jesus is, anybody know? King. Jesus. This man went from I am God to Jesus is king. In an interview with Apple Music, he said this, and I quote, There was a time I was letting you know what high fashion had done for me. I was letting you know what Hennessy alcohol had done for me. But now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. Why? Because apart from knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ, money and success and fame does not satisfy. You want more. So how was Lydia saved and how did this happen to Kanye? Well, look at verse 13 because Paul tells us how he encountered Lydia. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. Let me help you understand what's going on here culturally. In that day, if a city did not have 10 Jewish men, it could not start a synagogue. So even though this is a large metropolitan business center in Europe, there are not 10 Jewish men, so they cannot start a synagogue. Instead, we've got a few women meeting by the river a mile and a half outside the city to study the Old Testament. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. You understand what's going on here? This is not a church service. It's a small group Bible study with a handful of women, or a spiritual conversation with a handful of women. Paul's not preaching. Paul's not teaching. It's a spiritual conversation, probably with some back and forth. He's probably asking good questions, and he's trying to help them see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures they've been reading and wrestling with. So what happened as Paul is sitting there having a spiritual conversation with them about Jesus. Well, look at what happened at the end of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The ESV says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what he said. The NIV says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Greek word that's used right there, for respond to or pay attention to is a word that means to get it and to be attracted to something and want it in a way you never had before. In other words, it's an aha moment, folks, where God, by his spirit, helped Lydia get it and be attracted to this message of the gospel and attracted to the person of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me. Do you realize, you realize that is what God by his spirit has to do for anyone who ever comes to Christ? Ever. This explains if you're frustrated with your loved one or your lost friend or your coworker or whatever, like, 
Huh, are they stupid or what? Low IQ? I mean, how hard is this? Heaven, hell, Jesus, free gift, faith, duh. Oh, listen to me, my friends. You don't understand your Bible and you don't appreciate what God did. If you get it and you wanted it and Jesus was beautiful to you and this message was like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. God did that for you. Which keeps you just praising him all day long on your worst day. You've got something to be grateful for. Too many of you think what happened to you is what you did. It's a free gift. Duh, I took it. Idiots, all of you, idiots. No, no, you're the idiot. And you're arrogant. It's lights out for every human being. Unless God by his... You think about it. Did you come to faith in Christ the first time you heard the gospel? There's my point. Why at that funeral? Why when that friend shared? You'd heard it many times. What was going on in that moment that you were like... Oh, this is for me. Oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, free gift. Oh, I'll tell you what's going on. God, open your heart to get it, to heed, to pay attention, to be attracted to it. Oh, praise God for being so merciful. And so be patient and humble and loving with others around you who, quote, don't get it. God had to help you. Get it. If God doesn't help you get it to make sense and to be attracted to it, the human heart is so hard, you will keep running from it and be repelled by it. Running from it. And it sounds like slavery. It sounds like the end of your life. It sounds like loss of freedom. It's not, I mean, Jesus is Lord. Not looking for a Lord. I got me as Lord. That's what the normal human heart is thinking unless God, by his spirit, makes it attractive to you. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, right? Sometimes you just think it's like they can't really see it. They don't really understand. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, little g, of this world has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then I wish I'd put verse 6 in your bulletin. As I preached this in the bedroom, the dresser cried out and said, verse 6, give him verse 6. And so I wrote it in. You write it in. I don't know why I didn't see it on Thursday. In verse 6, he says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. So he's saying, just like God had to speak light into this world, it was total darkness and chaos. And God spoke light into existence and life. And and it was just, boom, he spoke it and it was done. He's saying that way that God spoke light into this created dark world is what he did when he saved you. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where's the glory of God most visible? Not mountains, not streams, not newborn babies. In the face of Jesus Christ. If the person and work of Jesus is beautiful to you, the Spirit of God threw the floodlight on Jesus in a way that you got it and were attracted. Praise God. That's the only way anyone gets saved. That's what God did for Lydia, and it's the same thing God did for Kanye West in a very similar way. Kanye already knew about God. Most people who grow up in America know something about God. But he was still more in love with himself than he was the beauty of Jesus Christ until someone invited him to church. Now, it's not often that I know anything behind the scenes about anybody famous, but I actually do on this. It just blows me away. Someone in his entourage, someone that worked with Kanye, invited him to go to my friend's church. And I'm not talking about mega church with smoke and smoke and light and all. 250, 300 people. He went. Why? He was looking for more. He heard the message and he asked to meet with my friend. And my friend began to do a Bible study with him and have spiritual conversations with Kanye. Folks, you don't know who might say yes to your invitation. I tell you all the time, number one reason anyone goes to church service, because of the amazing website. 
brochures helicoptered down through the sky all over their lawns. One of the biggest waste of money you can ever do is send out one of those mass mailers. Personal invitation. Hey, would you come to my church? Hey, I'd love you to come to my church. Personal invitation to attend. So here's the takeaway, folks. God might want to use you to have a spiritual conversation or a Bible study with someone. Are you willing? Are you ready? And here's what we also see in the book of Acts. Lots about God's spirit. Are you keeping in step with his spirit? Are you keeping in step with the spirit? Or do you just go from point A to point B? I'm going to the gym. I'm going to the store. I'm going to Dillard's. I'm going to work. I'm going. And I don't even notice people around me. Folks, everything you do, there's people around you as you do it who are created in the image of God and will spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell, and they matter. God's spirit just might prompt you. God's spirit is moving towards that person, but you're not. Why? You're not keeping in step with the Spirit. You're not even listening. You say, Brad, how, how do we do this? Is it spooky, scary? No. First, you say, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? I want to be filled with your Spirit today before you leave the home. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me eyes to see people the way you do, and I am willing to obey you if you prompt me to say something to someone, to start a conversation, to meet a need, to show love. But here's what you have to do. And I'm type A, so I had to change this. I used to have my schedule so tight. I mean, I used to block out my days in 15-minute segments. Those of you that know me well, sort of like, yeah, I would believe that. (laughs) I had to loosen things up, right? So that it's not like, I got 38 minutes to be at the gym. I got an elders meeting. I got, I got, I got, then there's no time. And I just loosened it up and said, I'm going to leave and do things with margin in my life for people who matter. The Spirit of God still has a heart for lost people. And He didn't leave you here just to make money, build bigger houses, and just take care of yourself. We're here that He might use us to reach others. Keep in step with the Spirit. Do you listen at all? Has He ever prompted you to do something different than what you had planned to do? I hope so. And sometimes I I, I figure I'm wrong. You know, I I do what I think I was prompted to do. It's like, oh, that didn't go well. (laughs) That wasn't me. I mean, that was me. Whatever. I want to be obedient. Uh, You know, I've never had anybody yet drop to their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Thank you for speaking to me. It's never happened. But I just trust God. And I want to be His servant. And I want to keep in step with His Spirit and be led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. Are you ready? Are you willing? Listen, we keep saying God uses His people to accomplish His purposes. But let me add something to that. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. But to do that, you have to be keeping in step with his spirit. And not just your agenda. His people, his purposes. And he gave us his spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. Let's look at a second case study. Luke highlights a second person. You see, Jesus can rescue oppressed people who are looking for freedom and love. So what's going on with this poor slave girl? She is utterly tormented. She is out of control. She is wild and scary. And everybody has pulled back from her. And she begins following Paul and Silas and Luke. The word in the Greek is not shout. The word in the Greek is shriek. She is shrieking. These men are servants of the Most High God that show us the way of salvation. You say, isn't that helpful? Shouldn't they have thanked her? No, not helpful. Because in that day, right, in Europe, they all had all kinds of gods. They believed in a most high God, all kinds of most high gods. And they believed there was a way. This is not specific enough. This is not helpful. And having her right there with them was not attracting people. She's shrieking for days. She's out of control. And here's what's heartbreaking. She's just a kid. The word right there in the Greek that, that, that Luke uses is not female, It's not even girl, it's young girl, probably between ages of 10 and 14. She's just a kid. And probably, I'm I'm surmising now, but I think it's fair, and probably either out of fear or frustration or both, her parents have sold her into slavery because they don't know what else to do with her. There were not places for people like this. There were not medications, right? 
And now she's be- her family has rejected her and she is now being exploited and oppressed and used by men to make money on her craziness and prophecies. So listen, this girl didn't just need forgiveness. She needed a new master. She needed a new master. But she needed someone to break through the bondage and confusion of all that was controlling her. And I know the passage is telling us that she was demon-possessed. But I'd like for you to set that aside for just a moment. And don't think, well, I, you know, I don't know anybody like this. And when, when, when I see one like that, I'll call you, Brad, because I'm not stepping into that. Let's just set demon possession aside for a minute. Because I hope you realize there are people you work with, play with, live near, go to school with, who are not demon possessed, but they are oppressed. And in many ways, their life is out of control. What they thought would serve them, they turn to alcohol or drugs or sex or pleasure. What they thought would serve them, owns them. And someone they thought would love them, now is exploiting them and using them. And they don't know how to get out. There are people like that all around us, folks. I hope you realize the further our culture moves away from God, the more people turn to things other than God that actually begin to enslave them and destroy them. But they were looking for freedom. They were looking for hope. They were looking for love. But it led to destruction and oppression. So how was this slave girl saved and set free? Well, unlike Lydia, Paul didn't try to sit down and have a spiritual conversation with her. He spoke the powerful name of Jesus into her life. Look at it in verse 18. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Listen to me. You have no idea the power there is in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name has power and authority. And the spiritual forces of darkness run for cover at the name of Jesus, not God. Don't don't go around just talking about God in general fuzzy terms or the faith. Use the name of Jesus. 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 There's power and authority in the name of Jesus. I don't expect any of you to do an exorcism this week. If you choose to, don't call me. No, I'm just kidding. But let me ask you this. Here's the takeaway. Here's the application for us. God might want to use you. To simply speak the name of Jesus into someone's life who feels completely bound up, oppressed, exploited, controlled, out of control. Jesus, Jesus, just run it up the flagpole. Doesn't even have to be the full gospel. Just introduce the name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You can do it face to face. You can do it through email, Facebook, any other means of social media. But there's power in the name of of Jesus. Let's not just talk about God. Talk about, say it, Jesus. 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 But now let me bring you a caution. Here's what you got to realize. So constantly we find in the scriptures, but you see it in the book of Acts. We want to do what God calls us to do that we should do, but don't try to do what you can't do that he hasn't called you to do. There's a line that we don't want to cross. You can speak the name of Jesus into someone's life, but you cannot make that name sound beautiful to them. Only God, by His Spirit, can do that. Let's obey, speak, share the gospel, speak the name of Jesus, but don't get all worked up thinking, what did I do wrong? Was I not winsome enough? Was I not articulate enough? Folks, speak it. But only God, by His Spirit, can make that name sound beautiful. Only by His Spirit can He help them get it, be attracted to it, want it. Oh, trust me, there are people who are dear to me that are still in this category, you guys. Oh, and i got to remember what I can and can't do, what He's called me to do and what I can't do, or I'll wreck the relationship. Just pressing constantly. And so... After I've spoken the name of Jesus and I've shared the good news of the gospel. Folks, let me tell you how I pray. Pray. I pray 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26. I've got it written in my prayer journal. I've got 
pages of people that I pray this for, that I cry out to God for, and some of them are dear to my heart. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will, what? Grant them, what? We are to call people to repent. We're called to call people to Jesus, call them to hope. But if God doesn't work, they can't. People can't just repent any old time they choose. The heart is dead. It's lights out. Perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Those two verses are not talking about demon-possessed people. They are talking about every human being who is yet not a Christian. That's what you're up against. You say, I'm speaking the truth. Why don't they? Because they don't know the truth and they have to come to their senses. It's lights out. They're in a coma of sin and they've been taken captive by our enemy Satan to do his will. God, by his spirit, has to break the chains of captivity, bring them to their senses, help them to know the truth and stop believing lies. That's the work of the spirit. You said, well, then what, what, what should we do, Brad? Here's what, ooh, here's what I think so few Christians do. I then speak the name of Jesus, share the truth of the gospel. So speak Jesus' name. And then pray to God in Jesus' name that he would give them the aha, the get it, the attract. I, I see Christians that just run around doing, 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 and they treat prayer as if, Oh, we don't want to just pray. That doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. Oh, if we would pray. Oh, if we'd pray. Yes, speak the name of Jesus. Yes, share the gospel. But how much do you pray for your dear lost ones and good friends and people on your street saying, Oh, God, help them to get it. Help them to come to their senses. Help them to know the truth. Break the chains of the evil one that's taken them. I mean, when we pray, folks, we're going to war. Don't think fuzzy slippers and a little lap quilt and a warm glass of milk. We're going to pray. I think lacing up army boots and I am going to war. I raise my hands and I pray for my loved ones and I pray for my neighbors and I pray for people at the gym that I've met and on the plane that I've met. I'm going to war in the name of Jesus and asking God to do what only God can do. Pray in the name of Jesus after you've spoken the name of Jesus. Let me remind you something that I hope will keep you from losing heart with some of these more difficult, out of control, looks like hopeless situations. I hope you realize, we don't always think this way, but I want you to see this. It takes no more grace for God to save a demon-possessed, oppressed, out-of-control slave girl than it takes for God to save a successful businesswoman who looks like she's got it all together. She was just as lost, just as hard, just as much on her way to hell. If God hadn't opened her heart, she'd still be all about purple fabric. No more grace is necessary for even either ones of these people. So cry out to a good, merciful God who said it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His mercy is wide. His grace is unending. And his resurrection was powerful enough to set any and every sinner free. 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 He's that good and the name of Jesus is that powerful and the gospel message is that glorious. But Luke gives us one more case study. Jesus can save the disinterested person who's never seen Christian joy in the face of suffering up close. That's what I think you see in the case of the Philippian jailer. What do we know about him? He's most likely a former Roman soldier because these civil service jobs were mostly given to them because they were good jobs. Apart from the fact that you're killed if someone gets away, that's a little downer. But apart from that, these were good jobs that people wanted and most of them were given to former Roman soldiers. His life is neither a big success nor a big mess. He's just a blue-collar, regular guy doing his job, living for the weekend. He's not wrestling with meaning in life, and he's not looking for a spiritual, in-depth conversation. 
So what does God use to get his attention? And people just like him that we've got all around us. Well, it's something we talked about just two chapters ago in chapter 14. Where Paul said in Acts 14, 22, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul was teaching it in chapter 14. Now he's living it in chapter 16. You see, everybody's not excited when some out-of-control person gets set free. That's how wicked the human heart is. When that slave girl was set free, it ticked off the men that were making money on her. They were furious. And so, not only were Paul and Silas beaten, thrown into jail, but their feet were put in the stocks. And don't think amusement park where you just put your hands through the holes and feet through the holes and take my picture. The stocks had... Multiple holes so that you would take someone and put their feet as wide apart as you could. And it caused painful spasms and cramps all over your legs and up and down. So their backs are bleeding and their legs are racked with spasms and cramps. And what did they do? What did they do in the dark prison with their backs bleeding and legs screaming? They started singing hymns. To God. How can they do that? Why? Let me tell you. They had a joy that was rooted. They had a joy that was rooted in something so deep that you could take their money. You could take their freedom. You could take their comfort. And for all they know, their lives are about to be taken next. And they still have joy because it is rooted in something deeper than circumstances. And they're living with a bigger view framed up than right here, right now. And that's what shook this Philippian jailer far more than the earthquake. Folks, earthquakes and tremors were very common in the area of Macedonia. He'd seen that before. He'd never seen this before. He'd never heard echoing from the deepest inner chamber of the prison with people bleeding backs and legs and back that are racked and screaming, singing hymns. And more than that, when the chains were loosed and the doors flew open, they stayed right there. They overcame evil with good. Folks, Paul's a Roman citizen. He knows how this works. If they left... That jailer dies. They stayed. And it appears from the text that they encouraged everyone else to. Because he cried out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. That, my friend, caused this disinterested middle class. I'm not a mess. I'm not a success. But I don't need it. Christianity to go from oh so disinterested to oh so interested. Where now he's asking them. Trembling, what must I do to be saved? Folks, their suffering well led to an opportunity to speak the gospel. And and he's asking, I tell you all the time, I know we're not going to be perfect, but we should suffer differently. And when people say, how do you do that? God did not promise that we wouldn't get cancer and we wouldn't go unemployed and we wouldn't have rebellious kids and we wouldn't have less than perfect marriages and we wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't. He promised that he's with you in it and you have his grace and you have his spirit so that the world says, what is that? We go through that also, but not like that. How do you do that? What do you have that I don't have? And now you're answering a question they asked instead of parachuting in, telling them something they're disinterested in. Don't hear me saying I wake up on any given day and say, God, I want to suffer more. I do not. I've never prayed that. I'm not ever going to. Does that encourage you? Enough happens. But I trust him that when it comes through his hands and into my life, that he has a purpose. He's going to use it for my good and his glory and the good of lost people. Folks, often our suffering will precede an opportunity to speak the gospel or Jesus. So here's my takeaway. You're not going to see this on Christian cable television or the best-selling Christian books. Are you willing and ready to suffer well 
so that other lost people could hear this good news that are disinterested. But when they see that, maybe right now you are suffering, but it hadn't been suffering well. It's been a lot just like everybody else in our world. Like, why, God? I can't believe this. This is how you treat your kids. What in the world? Ask God. Here's how I would say it to you. Don't waste your suffering. God brings money my way and more than I ever thought I would see. But Vicky and I keep trying to give away as much as we can and I'm just flabbergasted how he keeps bringing it my way because I think he sees me as a clearinghouse. I'm like an ATM machine. It's not just mine. It doesn't stay there long. It's like, Guess what he also brings my way that I want to use? I don't want to waste money by piling up stuff. I don't want to waste my suffering by just being bitter and cantankerous. And don't waste your money. Don't waste your suffering. Say, God, use me. There are nurses that are caring for you, perhaps. There are people who are doing lab tests. There are people involved all in a network of relationships around you and your suffering. Some of them are lost. Some of them make a lot of money with what they do. But when they see something different in you, they just might say, what do you have? How do you do that? Are you willing? Are you ready? But let me give you one more case study that I found Most encouraging. Yes, we've got Paul. And if we're not careful, we're like, well, that's the apostle Paul. I'm no Paul. Let me show you how you are like him. We've got Paul having a spiritual conversation with someone, small group. We've got Paul speaking the powerful name of Jesus to someone. We've got Paul willing to suffer well so that he has an opportunity to speak the gospel. Guess what else we have? We have Paul being used by God in spite of of his ornery, selfish, sinful self. Yeah, I said that. And he'd be happy for me to say it too. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's my second point. God can use us in spite of our weakness and lack of compassion. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? Look at verse 18 again. This she did for many days, shrieking. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to this this girl has been shrieking for days. Paul has not sought to help her. Paul has not showed compassion on her. And now finally when he decides to do something, it's really driven by, he is so ticked off. He's fed up. Literally the word in the Greek, annoyed, is a word that means exasperated, angry, fed up with her. And so he wheels around and says, in the name of Jesus, shut up. You're thinking, well, God's not going to use that because you weren't compassionate. Don't hear me saying, go out and let's do the same to the glory of God. <laughs> do hear me saying, when you blow it, there are times that my heart breaks not for lost people, but it breaks for the lack of compassion I have for lost people. That my first thought is often a judgmental thought and a ooh thought instead of, oh, happened to me in the gym just last week. I saw someone, I won't give you details, and I judged. I was like, it's like God's spirit said, what are you doing? You don't know them. I died for them. I was like, oh God, forgive me. My heart still so often is not compassionate. I don't take pity on people. And God uses me anyway. Folks, there's only one hero in the Bible. And his name is Jesus. Not Paul. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. said, say you're my sister. I don't want to get hurt. Just we could go on. David commits adultery. Again, I'm not saying, hey, let's go do all that this week. But I am saying, folks, God's not looking for perfect, have it all together, compassionate Christians through whom he will work. He's willing and ready to use you. On your good days, on your bad days, Paul's having a bad day. And God uses him anyway. Way, Which also is, I want you to see this, I try to tell you all the time, is one more example of how the Bible is the word of God inspired by the spirit of God. Because if someone was trying to create a hoax and put together some way to convince people of this new movement that's not true, you'd leave this kind of stuff out. 
You would not tarnish the human heroes in the story. The Bible's not written that way. We just constantly get the raw, gritty, dark side of every human being that's involved in what God's doing except the God-man, Jesus Christ. One hero, Jesus. And he's been using people just like you and me for as long as he's been at work in our world. Take heart. He'll use you. He'll use you. But now as we close, let me talk to those of you that are here and you might not consider yourself a Christian. Thank you for taking this kind of time to be with us. Thank you. Maybe you found yourself in one of our case studies. On some level, you would say, yeah, I'm successful. I think I am. But if you were honest, I'm getting some of the things, some of my goals, some of the things I want. But if you were honest, you'd say, I just still feel like I'm missing something. Or maybe you would say, my life, if you were honest, feels out of control. I feel like others control me. I feel oppressed. Someone I thought would love me has used me. Something I thought would serve me now owns me. I'm a little out of control and I feel enslaved and I don't know how to get out, how to get free. Or maybe you would say, honestly, Brad, I don't care. I'm not interested. Don't need it. Glad that works for you, Christians. Glad you need someone in your life bigger than you. I don't. Whoever you are and wherever you are right now, I got something I want you to think about. Have you ever asked the most important question you could ever ask in this life? You say, Brad, I'm not sure what that might be. Well, you've already heard it once today. It's the question the Philippian jailer cried out. What must I do to be saved? But asking the question is not the most important thing. Getting the answer right is what matters most. And to do that, you've got to back it up even more. You have to first see yourself in need of a Savior as a sinner that falls short and could never, never save yourself. Then ask the question, so what must I do to be saved? And then recognize, my friend, that the only answer there's ever been is you can be saved by grace through faith. In Christ, plus, oh, come to Christ today. Successful, come to Christ. It'll never be enough. Oppressed, enslaved, out of control, come to Christ. Come to Christ. He'll begin to change you from the inside out. Indifferent, come to Christ. He has never turned anyone away. He's calling to you today. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you sent your son for sinners and not just a certain type of person. Oh God, thank you for how wide your mercy is and how endless your grace is and how powerful your spirit is. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.